from Rabbi Kushner. Can you see the holiness in those things you take for granted, a paved road or a washing machine? If you concentrate on finding what is good in every situation, you will discover that your life will suddenly be filled with gratitude, a feeling that nurtures the soul. Let me read that to you once again. Can you see the holiness in those things you take for granted, a paved road or a washing machine? If you concentrate on finding what is good in every situation, you'll discover that your life will suddenly be filled with gratitude, a feeling that nurtures the soul. So now we're talking about a series of ancient spiritual paths which help our souls become stronger. When we find ourselves in seasons of malaise, when we find ourselves in times where purpose seems to elude us, times where we don't see the, the beauty of life as clearly It often has to do with having neglected some of these ancient paths, some of these paths that awaken our souls. Well, this weekend we celebrated Thanksgiving, and if you're like most of us, the day became busy, and it zipped right on by without much thought to the actual thankfulness that goes into Thanksgiving. And with all the turkey that needs to be cooked and all the tables that need to be set and all the visiting that needs to be done and all the driving that needs to be done, uh, all of those things, often the intentional, purposeful act of giving thanks gets eclipsed, lost along the way. But gratefulness is born of ancient wisdom. It is something that not only the scriptures, but every tradition has enjoined us is an important part of the spiritual life. Now, what I want to uh, ask today as we begin is why have the ancients and the scriptures all told us to stir up gratitude with intentionality? Why has it been that all of these traditions talk about the importance of thankfulness? Or here's what our scripture texts say. Always give thanks to God for everything. Cultivate thankfulness. It is good to give thanks to the Lord. So why? Why is it that these ancient traditions have talked to us about the importance of gratitude? Why is this one of the ancient spiritual paths that stirs up the well-being of the soul? Well, a couple of years ago, I talked about a study that I'd run across that links gratitude and well-being. And it was done by these two guys, one from uh, UC Davis and one from SMU. This, the guy from SMU is Dr. Michael McCulloch. The other guy's name is Robert Edmonds. And here's what they did in their study. As in any study, the first thing that they did is they went out and they studied all the other studies. What has already been done in the study of gratitude? And they began to look at all the different things that had been uh, done with double-blind studies, and they compiled all of that research, and then they did their own experiment on top of that. And what they did is they gathered three groups for a several-month period of time, and they assigned each of them list-making. The first group was assigned to make a list of things that hassled them. The second group was assigned to a list every day of things for which they were grateful. And the third group was assigned uh, the duty of making a list of just ordinary things that happen in the course of their lives. The results were that the people who compiled lists of things for which they were thankful began to develop happier lives. 
They viewed their lives much more positively. Now, this, this isn't all that surprising. And the old hymn, hymn tells us that if we will count our blessings and name them one by one, we will be surprised at the good things that are around us, the good that accrues to us. What was surprising from this study is that the, uh, the group of grateful list compilers had fewer headaches than the control, than the control group. And they had fewer colds. They had less illness in general. They tended to exercise for about an hour and a half more per week than the control groups. They got more sleep than the control groups. The grateful people began to have a higher quality in their lives. Now those other studies that they had been compiling of all the other research that had been done on gratitude, that also showed that there is something that happens to us when we exercise intentional gratitude. People become more optimistic. They become more enthusiastic. They become more interested in their own lives, more determined about the things that are set before them. They report an increase in energy about the focus of life before them, an increase in the amount of joy that they present. There was actually an increased likelihood that they would go out on a limb for other people and risk something for someone else. They became more social. They became more compassionate. They drank less alcohol. They took fewer aspirins. The grateful group compared to the control groups in all of these, the compilation of all these studies, were able to think more clearly, had a higher immune response, were able to deal with stress and difficulties and challenge with greater resilience. They lived longer. They had closer family ties, and they experienced deeper satisfaction with their religion. So there is something to this ancient spiritual path of intentional gratitude. So, what do you suppose is going on in this study? Well, I think what they had tapped into with their double-blind research procedures was what the ancients had been tapping into for millennia. And that is that stirring up gratitude strengthens the soul. Stirring up gratitude revives the heart. The saints and the sages across the traditions tell us generation after generation that gratitude helps us tap in to the divine life within us, helps us tap in to the fullness of life, the abundance of life, the truth of life, the beauty of life. But these ancient sources also tell us, however, that stirring up gratitude is tough. It's a chore. It's a challenge. It requires work on our parts. We have to take our neural pathways that are set in this pattern of thinking and we have to wrestle them into another pattern of thinking. So to get out a pen and paper, this is a hassle. I will often say to my kids, oh, I want my book, but it's upstairs. You want to run upstairs and get it for me? (laughs) And if they're not around... Typically, the book stays upstairs and I stay downstairs. (laughs) It's a hassle to get out pen and paper. It's a hassle to write things down. These are challenges. These are difficulties. To set a reminder in your calendar to remember to do something that stirs up gratitude and then to actually do it when the reminder comes up. These things are demanding. It's difficult to go from one habitual way of thinking to a different way of thinking. But when we do the demanding work, When we stir up this gratitude within ourselves, we become more connected to life. 
and we become more connected to truth, and we become more connected to the indwelling presence of God that is within each of us. The passion that we have for life is reawakened, and then these divine moments will come, and we will capture them. Failing to stir up gratitude conversely, these would not happen. We would be less awakened to life and less awakened to truth and beauty. And passions for life would not be being awakened. And the divine moments would come and they would pass right by and we would miss them. So this is why we have been enjoined by those who have gone before us on this spiritual journey to stir up gratitude within ourselves. It's why we protect our annual celebrations and we imprint them on the calendar and try and breathe thankfulness into them. It's why we have to do these artificial practices like list making and writing things down. It's why the ancients encouraged us to keep journals, to write down prayers that we would have and to write down appreciations that we would have. It's because gratitude tends to fade over time. Our brains get habituated to everyday life. It's a wonderful thing about our brains. We don't have to reinvent shoe tying every day. But the downside of it is that we get habituated to norms. And so things that are blessings become normalized. And we don't see them any longer for the blessing that they are. We tend to just see them fading into the backdrop of our lives. What was once a wonderful thing now just becomes a normalized thing. And because our brains function that way, we often tend to slip away from the recognition of blessings as blessings, even though they would be right in front of us. When was the last time that you were thankful for good dental care? But just imagine life needing a root canal with no dentist to go to. But because dental care becomes normalized in our lives, it just fades into the background and it's not something for which we are grateful When we stir up gratitude, we reframe our perceptions of our lives. We get ourselves out of one set way of thinking and nudge ourselves awake so that we can sense the gentle spirit nudges that would help us move into another way of thinking, another way that we would have missed had we not been nudged in that direction. So a few years ago, I talked to you about a book that I had read by this guy, Martin Seligman. The book is Authentic Happiness. And in this, in it, this guy, he's a professor, researches the things that make people happy. And as part of one of the courses that he teaches, he invited his students to a gratitude night. And it worked like this. Over the course of the term, each student was asked to keep a log of specific things that they appreciated about one other person. And then, toward the end of the term, they were to invite that person and come to a public forum where they would then read the points of appreciation that they had about this person in this public format. And every year, the professor said that when the class reviews came in at the end, this was always the high point of the class. Many said that it was a high point of their career, their college career. Repeatedly, When these uh, reviews of the classes would come in, he noted that the word transcendent was used to describe that evening. Now that word transcendent means beyond human limits. That word transcendent is defined as coming of a supreme nature. Or the third dictionary definition has to do with of the divine transcending the universe, the time, and space. 
So here in this highly secularized university environment in which few people give any attention at all to the divine, there was something of an acknowledgement that gratitude awakens us to that which is beyond ourselves. Gratitude awakens us to something that is bigger than ourselves. Now, in the way that I view the world, I would say they tapped into the divine. I wouldn't name it as such in that environment, but that would be tapping into that which is beyond us. Now, in our society, we don't have very many vehicles that just exist as a matter of course that would stir up gratitude. There's not a weekly cadence or a weekly rhythm that would invite us back to the um, expressing of thankfulness. So, it's a good idea for us to create those structures, create those rhythms for ourselves. Now, I'm going to suggest to you, as you see the Advent candle, that here is one you might consider. And you might consider it today because, to be honest, if you don't do it today, odds are you won't do it. Here's one that you could do today, and that is that you would write a letter to someone who has blessed your life. And you would write a letter that would be specific and say, these are the things that you have done or that you have been or have you have represented to me. And I appreciate that you are on the earth and that you live on this planet because your life has blessed mine this way. Now, I would encourage you to do that as an exercise today as we finish this holiday weekend. I would encourage you to do it as an exercise for the benefit of that person because it will bless them. It could actually fit into your list of generosity things that I'm asking you to do during the generosity chats. (laughs) But even more than that, I would encourage you to do it not just for that person, but to do it for yourself as a way of helping you find your divine center. Many people report that when they do move into these acts of overt gratefulness, something awakens in their lives of joy. Something awakens in their lives of purpose. Something awakens in their lives of reattachment to the truth and beauty of life. These things are awakened from slumber in their hearts and their life satisfaction shoots up. So it would behoove us then to begin now making a practice formulating an exercise, doing an intentional and overt act of gratefulness. Now, when we are grateful, is that the one? That's the one. When we are grateful, it leads to a deepened sense of contentedness. Here's the way it happens. Positive thoughts begin to flit through our minds as thoughts do. Only now, because we have been focused on gratefulness, it is much more likely that the thoughts that will be flitting through our minds will be positive ones. They will be things that we appreciate. We will have stirred up that part of our brain that houses the memories of things that were significant events that have shaped us and significant people who have blessed us. And then with these positive thoughts flitting through our minds, we will find ourselves with an increased degree of happiness. This will in turn strengthen our body chemistry and it will help us be alert to and watchful for those things that are born of life and truth, those things that are born of capturing the God wind when it blows through our souls. So this stir up gratitude strategy then would be good for us. However, You also have to recognize that it goes in direct contradiction to the prevailing strategy for fulfillment and happiness that exists in our society. 
Because in our society, we are taught, particularly during this season of the year, that consumption is the best cure for what ails us. If you are looking for a greater degree of satisfaction, you need some more stuff, or you need a better experience, or you need to go out and do this thing. So rather than gratefulness leading to contentedness, we would have the idea that consuming would lead to contentedness. So snakes are still out whispering to Adams and Eves everywhere saying, get more and then you'll be happy. Have more and then you'll be happy. Have more stuff and then surely you will not die. Be, have one more bite and then surely you will finally find goodness. So what we've been doing in our society is we've been going about getting more stuff double time. In the last 50 years in the United States, we've doubled our household incomes. That was largely in addition to the entrance of women into the marketplace, so now we often have two income homes. We've doubled the ratio of cars to people. We have doubled the frequency of people eating out, and our entertainment options have been almost quadrupled. So we have all this doubled experience of stuff, but the studies tell us we are slightly less happy than we were 50 years ago. So here we are pursuing all of this stuff and finding ourselves less happy as a result of doing it. Now, according to this guy Seligman that I just told you about, three out of four of the happiest people groups on the earth do not come from wealthy nations. The richest Americans in Forbes magazine came in way behind the Pennsylvania Amish. The Maasai of East Africa who have no electricity or water and who live in huts that are made out of dung these people are among the top in the degrees of happiness. The happiest of all are the Inuits of Greenland who live on a very simple diet and a very simple lifestyle. So stuff and <clears throat> happiness are not necessarily directly linked. This guy, this philosopher, this Catholic philosopher named Joseph Piper says this, read it with me, happiness he had from things, but only things that are appreciated. Let me read that again. Happiness is indeed to be had from things, but only things that are appreciated. The empty pursuit of more things distracts us from appreciating what we already have and therefore guarantees that we will lack in happiness. If you think about this, how many business owners do you know that spend time contemplating their loyal and their satisfied customers? Not usually. Most business people forget their current uh, customers and they focus on this abstraction that we would call market share. And rather than savoring and appreciating what we have, that's just not the way business runs. The way it runs is we have this percentage of market share today, we want that percentage of market share tomorrow. And so built right into the system is the demise of gratitude and appreciation. How many people are overtly thankful for a washing machine or for a dryer? Not many. We simply take these as a matter of course. But in the face of this prevailing loss of gratitude in our nation, every act of thankfulness becomes an act of defiance. Because there is a whole industry out there that is working hard to advertise to you, to tell you to be dissatisfied with what you have and get more. And we rebel against that every time we walked with thankfulness for what we have. There is a whole industry who has positioned themselves for the express purpose of telling you to go out and get some more stuff. 
And this becomes the dominant force within our society, and it, and it militates against living a life of gratitude. There is a whole industry out there telling you not to appreciate what you already have, but to quickly become bored with it, to quickly become disillusioned with it, to quickly become tired of it, so that you will then in turn go out and buy more, get more, thereby they make their income, thereby we are kept in a perpetual state of dissatisfaction, of ungratefulness, of unthankfulness. Gratitude celebrates what we have in the face of a whole industry that is teaching us to begrudge what we do not have. Gratitude exercises contentment in the face of a whole industry that is working to keep us... Gratitude is working to awaken us to the heart of God in the face of a whole culture that has found that their satisfaction is found elsewhere. So there was a woman who came up to Jesus with what was probably her life savings in the form of a bottle of very rare perfume. And she pours it on Jesus' feet, and she washes his feet in gratitude. Now, something like that taps into a passion that is deeply inside of the human being. And where does that deep passion come from? It comes from the same place that falling in love comes from. It's this deep part of us inside, experienced kindness having experienced tenderness, having experienced forgiveness, having experienced being awakened to who she was and being made alive. Now this happens to us. You've experienced it. You've been awakened at times in your life. For some people, that passion is awakened inside of us when the Holy Spirit delivers us from some great oppression or some great burden. For other people, it's when we see a truth and that truth sets us free and the passion is awakened. For all of us, we were blind, and then when we see what we could not see, that passion reignites and awakens again. But human habituation being what it is, very soon that passion just fades right into the background and becomes part of our everyday life. Human forgetfulness being what it is, soon those passions just fade right into the background and become part of our everyday lives. And for us... We need to have the gratitude stirred up intentionally or it will simply fade away. Gratitude must be acted upon or it will simply fade away. We must have rituals built into our lives that bring gratitude back to the surface. We must have practices built into the rhythm of our days and our weeks to bring gratitude back to a place of awareness. So I read an article this week as uh, we're, our nation approaches this Thanksgiving holiday, and it was about how unlikely it is that President Lincoln would have been the one to institute this national holiday. And this article, it said that Abraham Lincoln, at age seven, was, along with his family, forced out of his home. So as a boy, he had to work uh, very, as a very young boy, to support himself and his family. And then at nine years old, <clears throat> his mother passed away. 
And then at 20 years old, he lost the job that he did have, and he wanted to go to law school, but because he'd been working to support his family, he didn't have the education necessary to go to law school. And at 23, he went into a great deal of debt in order to become a partner in a small store, only to have his partner die three years later and leave him with a mountain of debt that took him years and years to repay. At 28, he asked a girl to marry him, and she turned him down soundly, only to reconsider, and then when he married her, have her turn out to be mentally unstable and abusive and living what was probably at that time, if it would have been diagnosed, might have been a, uh, what do you call the, that's the one, the bipolar. Uh, By the time he was 37, he had had two failed runs to be a congressman, and he was finally elected to a two-year term, only to fail being re-elected, which is really hard to do. At 45, he had a failed run for the Senate, and almost immediately after having his failed run for the Senate, he lost his third son to typhoid fever. And as a matter of fact, through the years, three of his four sons had died to childhood deaths, two by tuberculosis and one to typhoid fever. At 51, he ran for the vice presidency, and he lost. He ran for president, was elected, only to immediately have the darkest day in American history dawn upon him as the Civil War began to go on around him. And he got to sit in the presidency and oversee more loss of American life than had ever been in any war before or since. And so here's a man with an awareness of a tremendous amount of personal and national tragedy. And so he becomes an unlikely candidate for issuing this proclamation. It has seemed to me fit and proper that the gifts of God should be solemnly, reverently, and gratefully acknowledged with one heart and one voice by the whole American people. I do therefore invite my fellow citizens to set apart and observe the last Thursday of November as a day of thanksgiving and praise to our beneficent Father who dwelleth in the heavens. So Abraham Lincoln knew something about gratitude and he knew something about a grateful heart and he understood something about our understanding that even in the midst of great trial and even in the midst of great troubles, in the midst of horrendous hardships and with heartbreaking tragedies, even in the midst of that, there is a great deal for which to be thankful. And Lincoln encouraged us, the people of his nation, to take the time to express gratitude, to stir up the intent to purpose ourselves, to express gratitude, to give thanks for life and all the blessings that accrue to us by simply being alive. So, if, like many of us, this Thanksgiving holiday slipped by you and escaped without you having much time to express gratitude with intention, then I would encourage you to do what I said today, and that is to write a letter of appreciation to someone. But in addition, to put into your calendar a monthly reminder that every month you would write a letter of appreciation to someone in the year before us. That once a month, on a Saturday, if perhaps your Saturday is your day off, 
a reminder would come up and tell you, write a letter of appreciation and then put some thought into it. Think about what it is that has blessed you in your life. What is it that has blessed you within yourself? And then I would encourage you also to build into your life some rituals of thankfulness. If you are fortunate enough that you get to have dinner with someone every night, which I used to (laughs) before my kids got wild and scattered, you can do what we did when the kids were younger, and that is to say, tell me something good about your day today. What a simple routine, just while you're sitting at the table, to say, tell me something good about your day today. And then everyone goes around the table and says, this is something good that happened in my life. So stir up gratitude. Build into your life rituals of gratitude because it will fade away. If you don't stoke the fires of appreciation, if you don't stoke the fires of thankfulness, they will go cold. So build into your life the rhythms now. We are sitting and we are thinking about it with intention. I don't think there's a single person that's listening that doesn't think this is a good idea. But statistics being what they are, you will walk out of here and not do anything. So I'm encouraging you to walk out of here and write today's letter. And put into your calendar today to think through something that would stir up gratitude. To make a list of the things for which you are grateful. Find some rhythm of stirring the gratitude back up within your own soul so that you can awaken to the rhythm of the divine. So be grateful, be thankful, be appreciative, and be content. So Lord, stir our hearts to this ancient pathway of gratitude. Stir our hearts to this ancient pathway of thankfulness. Today, this week, and beyond. In Jesus' name, amen.